0: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football The show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game And makes childish jokes about manscaping I'm Kevin Leave It Natural Day And he is Liverpool University's Kieran Smooth as an action man Maguire Uh, (laughs) Later in the show This packed show, we'll hear from Ben Clasper, who's chairman of National League side, Dulwich Hamlet, who is not happy with the way the government bailout of non-league football has been handled. But before that, Kieran, it's Newsday, and we've got a fair few stories to rattle through. And the first two of them are good news stories. Southend fans had an anxious wait all week after a warning that they might not be able to pay the income tax in the High Court today, but they're fine by the look of it.
1: Yes, and this is one of those very strange things that happens in football. Uh, Southend United have been uh, charged by HMRC on many occasions for non-payment of taxes. Uh, it normally has gone to the court. The court have said, well, we'll give you a bit more time, give you a bit more time. Um, and you wondered whether the club genuinely had the money and certainly raising the the South End press. Over the course of the last few days, there there were genuine concerns that they'd go the same way as Macclesfield Town. Mm. So the court hearing took place this morning, we're recording this on the Wednesday, it took place at uh, 10.30. And uh, hey, presto, the owner managed to find half a million pounds down the back of the sofa and has paid off the tax man. So, it's good news. Not, not only is uh, the the, the, yeah, the short term future of the club looking a lot better, I think when the next transfer window kicks in as well, they'll they'll yep. be able to sign players.
0: Yes, because they had an embargo. Their their owner is Ron Martin. Um, and if you ask me which club Ron Martin owns, you'd probably go for Southend or West Ham, wouldn't you? So he he sounds like he owns. Uh, but it's a, a couple of friends of mine, very good friends of mine, actors who are Southend fans. Very unhappy with him. as I, I phoned him expecting them to be very relieved, but they're just upset at what they called his his brinkmanship and basically putting him through two weeks of anxiety when it turned out he was able to comfortably pay the bill or was able to find somebody else to help him pay it. We don't know, but it's, it, it is good news. And also, Kieran, this is a story I talked to Ben Clasper about as well because Dulwich are a team that are s- streaming their games for nothing to their fans, uh, which he thinks is the right thing to do, as you'll hear the premier league meanwhile the pay-per-view argument rumbles on the pay-per-view games average fewer than 40,000 viewers each over the first two games uh, firstly kieran i'm heartened that producer guy knows the difference between fewer than and less than which is great news secondly for comparison purposes what what would the average say brighton west brom game on bt sports usually get numbers wise
1: Um, For a game such as Brighton versus West Brom, I think you're probably talking somewhere in the region of 300,000. So my understanding is that less than 10,000 people signed up for the match on Monday night. Right. Uh, So it's substantially less, but people are prepared to pay £14.95. My understanding um, is actually that the Premier League are quietly pleased with the the level of interest. On average, uh, there's been 39,000 people paying for each match. Uh, It's gone from a high of 140,000 for Arsenal versus Leicester and 125,000 for Liverpool versus Sheffield United to, and nobody's prepared to confirm this, to 1,000 for Burnley versus uh, West Brom. So the, the 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 range is is absolutely huge, but I think it also reflects on fan bases. Uh, as you know, I, I work in Liverpool, and I've spoken to to my colleagues who, who are all uh, who are Liverpool fans, and they said, "Well, we're not prepared to pay for it. Yeah, you know, we we disagree with the principle, and we disagree with the price in particular." Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody I, I'm familiar with, yeah, you know, they said, "Well, we're going to go down the uh, the the." Uh, the paying to to charity route or or we, 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 if we 've not got the money we'll we'll you know, we use it to pay the bills um but if if you take a look at clubs such as Arsenal and Liverpool and this isn 't this isn't a dig. They've got a lot of fans who I'd refer to as plastics. I people that don't live near Arsenal or Liverpool, they're not familiar with the fan culture uh, surrounding the, the club, and therefore that they are they think, well, it's actually quite a decent price, and I'll go ahead with it. Um, so we, we've got different reactions. You know, the hardcore fans are actually, you know, paradoxically, the ones who are most likely to go to the game and and to have season tickets are are the ones who are least likely to be paying for it. Yeah, we'll talk about the, the boycott of the pay-per-view in a moment, Kieran, but I thought it was
0: interesting to see that BT Sport this week sort of distanced themselves from the £14.95 fee by saying that they're only covering their costs, which seems interesting. Uh,
1: it's interesting. It's also, um, I think the, the technical phrase I'd use uh, in in lectures is bollocks, <laughs> um, because the the matches would be uh, broadcast anyway. big be- the premier league has international broadcast partners right. all the matches would automatically go out to the us to china to to hong kong to the philippines and so on uh, and they would go out in in hd quality so so when you're looking at uh, bt's position we, we'd we deal with what we refer to as marginal costs the extra costs of putting on a stream which starts 10 minutes before the match and finishes straight out afterwards well that that extra cost is zero or pretty close to it you need one extra commentator and that's about it so um i I, i'm calling meh to uh, BT. And, and I'm a BT subscriber myself, but uh, that doesn't wash with me from, a, from an accounting or financial perspective.
0: Uh, it's not the last we've heard of that in this little section. Because uh, meanwhile, fans who have boycotted the pay-per-view games have now raised more than £300,000 for charity, mainly for food banks. And it does kind of beg a belief that in Great Britain in 2020, we're arguing about who should feed our kids in half term. But it's a, it's a fine effort. And I was also very impressed with a lot of football fans this week who Got in touch with me to say that they were uh, donating the pay per view money and watching the game on a dodgy stream. So they're both breaking the law and doing good things.
1: Yes, well, that, that's what uh, that's sort of the the gallant view of piracy is, I guess. Uh, you know, we 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 can't officially condone it because we don't know where the money ends up, yeah. but. Um, there are alternatives and and I, I fear actually for for bt and sky here because if people take the pirate route for for games of a pay-per-view nature and they think well that was actually better than i anticipated then a lot of people will be thinking what why am i why am i shelling out you know a combined 60 or 70 pounds a month to the the, the 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 senior broadcasters in this country, when actually I could get it for nothing, so that they could end up sort of with uh, with a, with, a, with a higher churn rate than they initially expected. Somebody is responsible for this price, and at present we've got the broadcasters pointing the fingers at the Premier League, and the Premier League fin- pointing the fingers at the broadcasters.
0: Well, g- glory be as well, Mike Ashley has stuck his head above the parapet. Uh, the owner of Newcastle United has unsuccessfully urged the Premier League to cut the pay-per-view prices to £4.95 with half the profits going to the EFL. Or, Mike, you could pay for Newcastle fans to watch for nothing until you refund their outstanding season ticket money. But it, it, it makes you think here about what BT said about covering costs if Mike Ashley reckons there's still a profit to be made on £4.95.
1: Yeah and yeah my, my, it, first of all f- Good for him for coming out with this. I think you've got to look at this thing in isolation. As we discovered last week when we had uh, Alex from the Newcastle United Supporters Trust, Newcastle appears to be the only club which is still collecting direct debits from fans and has had no communication with them for around about two years. But if there's one person in this country who knows about pricing and how to make it successful, it is Mike Ashley, his his ability to, to make money out of... You know, discounted brands is is fairly legendary mm. so um, if he's coming out with things like this and and I, I cannot recall. Um, a week in which I found myself in agreement with Mike Ashley, Steve Evans, the former jailbird who is presently the manager of Gillingham, who, who came out with saying that health w- was more important than money when it, when it came to whether matches should take place or not, because uh, they were playing Fleetwood on Saturday who had previously played Accrington Stanley, Accrington of eight players down with COVID and the Fleetwood players have not been tested for COVID. So, uh, so Steve Evans came out, and then I found myself agreeing with Nigel Farage, saying that yeah, in, in terms of feeding kids, we, we ought to en- ensure that school meals are being paid. So that, that's, that's just how completely screwed up this year is. Um, but in terms of this, Ashley's probably got a point. I think there will be a lot of people who, for a fiver, would say, I won't only just watch my team, but some of the other matches, which look half decent, I'll probably pay for those as well. Well, that's
0: something that's been sort of overlooked in all the argument with fans is that uh, yeah, of course I want to watch Palace. I didn't, I, I wouldn't pay the fourteen pound ninety five to watch our game against Fulham. But there are games that I think yeah, I wouldn't mind watching that if it was cheaper. I could afford it, or the money was going to the right place. So we're not just missing our own team; we're missing a lot of other teams as well. Still with Newcastle, because I'm I'm trying to gloss over the fact that you agreed with all three of those people. It's the Farage one hurts me, Kieran. It's it's, it's Really annoying, even when these, these people say things that are right. You don't... Oh, it's, it's wrong somehow. Uh, still with Newcastle, a fan group has served the Premier League with a legal letter claiming that it broke UK anti-competition laws when it blocked the Saudi takeover of the club. But we're still, as we heard when we spoke to Alex from the Supporters Trust, not entirely sure that there was an actual block of the takeover, are we?
1: No. And I think this this ties into some of our stories, which we're going to cover later as well, um, in terms of what is coming out of the Premier League. There seems to be an awful lot of half-truths uh, being leaked to the press uh, as, as different organisations take up positions against each other. But this is from uh, Newcastle Consortium Supporters Limited. It's, it's a couple of fans. They've they've been around. They've had a word with the QC, which uh, yeah, one of our silver-tongued friends will yeah. no doubt, as we speak, be rumming, rummaging through the 2021 Range Rover brochure. Um, and this is in respect to uh, anti-competition law. Uh, the EFL, by prevaricating, as is a position which is taken by the litigants here, um, has, has effectively broken sort of competition rules and, and um, Mike Ashley has quietly supported this, as is Amanda Stavely. We've got this ridiculous situation where there's somebody who wants to sell a football club and has a price. The buyers want to agree that price. The buyers have the money not only to pay for the football club, but also to fund the football club going forwards. And the Premier League is saying, well, we just want to do a little bit more information and does appear to be dragging things out going yes yeah, sort or of linking to to other issues um yeah you know, one of project big pictures unusual proposals would be that uh the likes of uh, John Henry of Liverpool uh, from Boston and Joel Glazer f- from uh, from Tampa they would be able to veto who buys football clubs yeah, because yeah. they don't want competition they don't want a big 7 that yeah they're not happy enough with a big 6
0: Mm. Uh, it, it was the P- the PL, the Premier League, that prevaricated. Kieran, you said EFL before people tweet. Uh, I think you probably said that because of your subconscious guilt about agreeing with Nigel Farage. Basically, um, he claimed to be a Palace fan. That was a bleak morning when that news came out um, on the Big Six. Still. Uh, It's turned out, apparently, and again, I know I'm I'm sort of qualifying that because we're not absolutely sure where the story came from, but it seems that the Premier League chairman, I did it again, it's that the Premier League chairman and chief executives uh, held a meeting with the big six clubs to discuss the fallout of Project Big Picture without telling the other 14 clubs
1: yes now if if you are a chief executive of an organization, you have responsibilities towards the organization as a whole, so therefore, to have selective meetings and briefings and and not being completely transparent uh is a very uh unethical way in, in which to conduct yourself so according to the story and and this was uh this was uh written by uh, david conn in the guardian and david is uh, oh, right, probably yeah. one of the most uh, yeah. you know, rottweiler like investigative journalists yeah. uh, around and he, he's broken many of those stories um richard masters the chief executive and gary hoffman the chairman um they emailed the big six on the 8th of october if this story's the case uh, this is pre the actual leak of the story um in respect of how they thought things were going, in, in respect of Project Big Picture. Um, there, there's been various talks about the, the so-called Big Six resigning from the Premier League and joining the EFL. Mm. So We don't know where this is coming from. Um, and then also wading into the situation is Greg Clark of the FA, now, if anybody saw Greg Clark's performance between, before the Department for, of Culture, Media and Sport last October, in respect of October, you'd have thought, oh, Jesus Christ, yeah, this guy um, is it does not does not instill you with confidence mm. now some of uh, e- some emails allegedly written by greg clark and if they are his emails by the way he doesn't know how to spell so not only does he appear to be not particularly au fait, he, he claimed that he'd never heard of Ber- berry's problems until six weeks before they went bust uh, at mm. the dcms mm. um the claims here is that he initiated the talks uh, which effectively led to Project Big Picture, along with Bruce Buck of Chelsea. So it's mm. not necessarily Manchester United and Liverpool, who perhaps fingers should be pointed at, but now it's the the FA. Um, and Chelsea trying to get to the bottom of this is, of course, impossible. What we are seeing, however, is the selective leaking of emails and communications uh, to journalists mm. And I think you have to work out, well, who's going to be leaking those emails? You read the article and you say, well, okay, well, who's not been implicated in this? And work your way backwards from there.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting and slightly cynical. Um, If it came from David Conn, I didn't need to qualify it because he's a journalist that I have the utmost respect for. And the word integrity nearly always applies to everything David writes about. Um, And talking of executives, a former BBC executive, is working with the American firm who wants to buy twenty percent of the EFL's commercial rights.
1: Yeah, we initially thought, didn't we, that this was uh, this was producer guy. Because he has been very quiet, he, he doesn't appear on the shows too often these days. And he's got the money; he's got the money to do it. <laughs> we, well, we certainly haven't. Um, but no, it's uh, this is a guy called Dominic Coles who uh, worked at a fairly senior position with the uh, with 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 the, with the Auntie Beebe. He was responsible for their Olympics coverage in 2012, which which I thought was at the time was absolutely fantastic. Um, so apparently, he is now working uh, with this company from tech. Texas TPG Capital. Um, They did put in an offer uh, of around about 300 to 350 million sterling uh, for 20% of the EFL. Um, And this was rejected by the EFL board, by all accounts, with no consultation with club owners. So club owners themselves are now, they're a little bit cheesed off. So some of them are now approaching TPG Capital. As we've probably uh, come to realise with with issues of this nature, um, and it is also the case with Newcastle, uh, it's a bit like Freddy Krueger. Just when you think something's dead, it springs back into life and uh so you know, never say never when it comes to deals and money and finance and the murky world of football yes it's it's very we've we've mentioned this before
0: without going into too much detail but it's extremely dodgy that the head of the EFL rejected this offer without relation to the clubs especially at a time of
1: shocking economic hardship for those clubs isn't it Yes, and and the timing again seems very strange. Uh, this this the talks were apparently called off on the Friday before the story was uh, leaked in the Telegraph on Sunday, mm. uh, in respect to Project Big Picture. Now, if the EFL is in need of money, um, you know, £300 million plus would clearly plug a gap. Mm. You don't get something for nothing. So uh, TPG Capital would be looking for a slice of future TV revenues. But the nature of private equity companies, and there are, there are both good and bad tales to tell about this particular industry, is that they, what, one thing they do know about is, is how to turn a profit. So uh, it, it's, it's unusual.
0: Yeah, on the field, Kieran, these are troubling times for Celtics. My God, they're not top of the table. The fans are furious. they only managed an away draw with Aberdeen. That can't be, the manager has to go. But they've just released their latest financial figures. Is this going to cheer anybody up? How are they looking?
1: Um, Well, they lost 430 grand a week uh, last season from their their day-to-day activities. Uh, I saw that uh, Neil Lennon... Uh, apparently, there are now polls taking place in the newspapers in Scotland should he be sacked because they've not won a match for three games. Yeah. Can you imagine that? If that was the case for, for Brighton or Palace, we'd be getting through about half a dozen managers a season. <laughs> so, so it's the bizarre world of Scottish football. Um, they they did manage to uh, offset those losses through selling Kirantini. To Arsenal, so that they made a significant profit and and the Celtic business model is every year they they normally to manage to have one successful sale and, and that covers their their day to day trading losses. However, this summer nobody's been sold um and those losses which were 430 grand a week are likely to be far higher this season because celtic generate around about 50% of their income through the turnstiles and with no sign of fans returning to matches uh in terms of being paying to 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 watch them from uh, the stadium it could be a tough year so One would have to presume the club did have £20 million cash in the bank at the end of June, but it will burn its way through that fairly quickly. Uh, If it's not successful in getting out of the the group games of the Europa League, that's going to make things worse. I think it might have to go and turn to the owners to to bail them out. In my head, Kieran, Celtic and indeed Rangers, whatever you think about the
0: size of Scottish football, Those two clubs are are global brands, if only because of the amount of Scottish and Irish people who have been dispersed across the world in in the past 100 years. So it seems astonishing that a club the size of Celtic with a fan base across the world can be losing
1: that much money on a daily basis. Well... Football is is a tough business. You think about a club the size of Chelsea. Chelsea lost 100 million quid last year mm. um, and they won the Europa League and, and they qualified for top four. And, of course, they've got the benefits of the, the, the English uh, TV deal, which is worth a fortune compared to the one in Scotland. I think Scott, uh, Celtic and Rangers, to, uh, both of those clubs, are, to a certain extent, caught between the devil and the deep blue sea. Um, finishing second in Scotland is failure. Yeah. So therefore, they get involved in in an arms race in, in terms of spending money on wages, which are, are not sustainable potentially unless they do sell a player successfully. They are very reliant upon European activity. Now, Celtic got knocked out of the the qualifying rounds, the preliminary rounds for the for the Champions League. If they'd qualified for the Champions League last season, that those losses would have been wiped out. All
0: right. Well, from Scottish giants Kieran to Spanish giants or uh, Catalan, if you prefer, Barcelona's president has resigned and revealed that the club has signed up to the proposed European Super League. Are those two linked? And also, FIFA have just announced that this has come as news to them.
1: Yes, I mean, I mean, this is the uh, this is uh, Josep Bartomeu. Um, he he was the club president um he's been under a lot of fire uh, with, with regards to to barcelona not being again it, finishing second in in, in uh, la liga is deemed to be failure not making as much progress um as fans would have liked in europe clearly the messy situation you know Lionel messi has been very vocal in his criticism um so he he resigned mainly because he was about to be kicked out so sometimes it's better to jump and uh he came out with this comment and this is the equivalent of somebody pacing you know uh posting on facebook about somebody that's broken up with hey they're shit in bed by the way <laughs> um he 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 posted that uh, that they they'd signed up for this super league and then everybody went hold on uh, yeah we we know there's been talk about the super league but i i've spoken To quite a few people over the course of the last seven days, people involved in private equity, some pretty senior journalists as well, and they say that the Super League story is is a non-runner. So where he's got this from, nobody seems to know. And then we've got the, the head of La Liga itself saying... Well, this is this is a load of old baloney. So, trying to work out truth from fiction, uh, when it comes to football club executives, once again, we're left scratching our head.
0: Yeah, Berry are planning to stage games at Gig Lane in the new year. And I suppose I should ask you, which Berry kid.
1: Well, this is Steve Dale. Okay. Uh, Steve Dale was uh, interviewed in a newspaper whose name I refuse to to even countenance. Um, and he said the aim was this season for matches to take place uh, for both women's and youth football at Gig Lane. We have had this this tragically romantic scenario in which the the Berry groundsman is so devoted to Gig Lane that he's been going in and looking after the the yeah. the, the, the the pitch itself, which which is so so sad. You know, doing that for an empty stadium week in week out, um, it's 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 a true love affair. Um, according to Steve Dale, he is willing to sell the club, um, and he claims that the the club will be able to start next season at Gig Lane in National League North, provided there's a successful transfer of ownership. Now, the the, the fan base of Berry is split. We've got forever Berry who want to return to Gig Lane. Um, they seem to be sort of if not on talking terms willing to accept that steve dale is not lying every time he opens his mouth um and slightly more sympathetic towards him because they want to return to their spiritual home clearly berry afc have turned up in the ninth tier of english football um i i i did attend some of the town hall meetings Last year, and clearly there was bad feeling between the two sets. Um, and it's it's such a shame when things of this nature happen because they all truly love Berry you know, as 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 the, as the place of their birth uh, and the place they've grown up in mm-hmm. and the club that they support. Um, it would be good if some form of m- meeting could take place and, and both sides could get on board together because to end up with two berry football clubs it means that you're you're splitting the splitting the winnings to a certain extent if you've got half the fans going to watch one version and another half going to see the other if the ultimate aim is is to get some form of berry football club back in the EFL where I think we all feel the club belongs
0: well the thing is we know football fans Kieran and I understand that notion that both sets of fans want to be the the keeper of the true flame essentially and it just indicates the passion that, that football takes hold of. I mean, it, once it gets under your skin, it gets under your skin and it's it's hard to reason with people when football is so entrenched in their psyche. But as you say, it would be lovely to think that they got together and could somehow end up as the same team back in the league playing at Gig Lane. Uh, better news for a team not too far up the road. The Rovers have been recognised uh, as a UK business hero by the British Chamber of Commerce for their dedication to helping the local community during the pandemic. They're not the only club, but every single football club in this country, at every level helped their community during the pandemic. But I think Tram is recognition by the British Chamber of Commerce is a recognition for every club in a way, Kieran.
1: Yeah, very much so. And first of all, you know, congratulations to both Mark and Nicola Palios. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I've I've met both of them sort of online and face to face. They are completely devoted to Tranmere Rovers as being a community club and seeing themselves as custodians of of the club itself, rather than the view taken by. Uh, some of the the senior clubs in the Premier League who see themselves as being uh, people benefiting from from fans' money um- the reason why this this award's been given is is due to tranmere 's superlative efforts in respect of covid nineteen uh phoning vulnerable fans thirty five thousand food parcels collecting prescriptions from those fans who are self isolating from from people who are who are scared of going out a thousand cooked meals yeah, and and you 're absolutely right kevin i think this is, is a testament to all of those clubs we 've seen. Superb efforts by both Manchester United and Manchester City uh, over the course of the the last few days, which again uh, shows you that even in in clubs who are perhaps playing the role as pantomime villains at Mm. present uh, in respect of the likes of United, there are still good people doing good things at those clubs. Uh, But it it, it is uh, it is recognition. And, you know, we we see football being used as uh, for political capital by people at present, which I think is is a shame. Um, And this is this is the other side of the coin. Uh, Football is is a great way of unifying people and doing good for those less fortunate. Uh, Talking of commerce,
0: Kieran, which we weren't really, but the last story had the word commerce in it. Uh, I realise this is a stretch, but Guy asked me to crowbar it in at a relevant moment. Talking of commerce brings us to the soon-to-be-released small range of Price of Football merchandise. Uh, uh, is the word tawdry? Tawdry is the word I'm looking for, isn't it? Um, remember, Kira, when I was I was comedy-indignant that Gary Lineker has his name on the front cover of my book more than I do. Uh, yes. Guy would tell you that my name appears less often and fewer times. Well, imagine my surprise, Kieran, when producer Guy sent photos of the mugs and T-shirts to find that the, the wife of the accountant on this pod has her name on the T-shirt, but the actual presenter of the pod is nowhere to be seen. Uh, I understand we're soon to be releasing a range of beer mats with a picture of your dog on them and a matching, set, <laughs> a matching set of producer Guy duvet covers and pillowcases. Um <laughs> If you if you want uh, a reasonably priced price of football t shirt with the Baron written on it or the Baroness written on it or indeed a mug with the price of football you can you can see them I would recommend seeing them before you buy them uh, you can see them at the uh, the dash price dash of dash football dot merch dot com products won't be available for delivery until twentieth of November the price of football takes no responsibility for any chafing or spillage incurred using these products. Um, we also take no responsibility for any chafing or spillage incurred by Kieran. Uh, <laughs> you know what, Kieran, never never has the BAFTA, the, the BAFTA for best pod seemed so far away. <laughs> Every now and again, we break a story now think you know what, that that BAFTA, that BAFTA for best pod and then suddenly it's... Um, yes, Kieran will remind you, because I, I don't want to mention it again, but Kieran will remind you of the merchandise opportunities at the end of this podcast. In the meantime, Kieran, we've got one more story before how... A really, really fascinating and quite angry interview with the chairman of Dolichhamlet, Hamlet. Lanarkshire Valuation Joint Board. Uh, no, me neither, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, uh, Even I'm I was mean, struggling. No, on, on, on cursory research, it turns out that Lanarkshire Valuation Joint Board are the biggest tenants at Hamilton Academical Stadium, but they've decided to move out and local councillors want that decision reversed i can't understand kieran why hamilton aren't the biggest tenants of their own stadium well you, you can't charge rent to yourself kevin can you oh oh fair point oh no you can't no no well, well i'm just, well, I'm well, just, I'm, uh, just actually, I'm, yeah no you can't
1: yes as, as a creative accountant you've now got me thinking of. <laughs> uh... <laughs> carry on <laughs> right um We've often spoke on this, spoken on the show about uh, football clubs not, and it's a terrible business phrase. This not sweating the assets. Sweating yes, the assets yes. means a uh, football ground effectively is is open twenty to twenty five times a year when it when it's generating money. Um, yeah, you know, and, and your local branch of Tesco's isn't doing that. It's open three hundred and sixty four days a year. So can football clubs be doing a bit more? Hamilton Academicals are a shining example of what can be done. They've they've uh, they've rented out some space. They've got office space uh, embedded into the stadium itself and uh, this South Lanarkshire Lanarkshire Council are paying 300,000 pounds a year in rent uh, in order to to carry out their activities. Now it turns out that they've now they're going through a cost cutting exercise they've decided they're going to move elsewhere i suspect somewhere somewhere else connected to the council which means that that the ackies uh, are not going to be in receipt of this money but when you're a club the size of hamilton 300 grand a year is a significant chunk of your overall income um and it's another one of these clubs that do a hell of a lot of work in the community, and what they've managed to do is something which is which is hard to achieve. They've managed to get cross-party support mm. for the South Lanarkshire Valuation Council to, to have a second thought um, because the, the money that's paid in rent uh, it, it's not being wasted in on footballers' wages. I, I've I've seen Hamilton's wage bill. Uh, you know, it, it's less than. I can assure you, uh, practically every footballer is receiving at some of our senior clubs in the Premier League, mm. um, and that's for the whole squad. So it's it's you you can't point the finger. Uh, but as well as that, it's doing an awful lot of good outreach work uh, in in respect of charity, providing people for COVID, giving young kids an opportunity to to play and things of this nature. All of which should be encouraged in in a, in a fairly troubling time for the whole world at present. So, um, you know, I, I hope they will reconsider. Um, e- even if they pay a, a slightly reduced rent, it, it would still, that, that money flows through to good causes. Here, hear. hear. Uh, and also, Kieran,
0: only you could utter a simple sentence like, I've seen Hamilton's wage bill and make it sound a little bit dirty. Um, as you know, Kieran, Dulwich Hamlets so are a non-league team of much renown, actually, situated not far from me as the Crow Flyers, and several of their fans got in touch with us to tell us that their chairman, Ben Clasper, was very concerned by the distribution of the government bailout of non-league football. So we asked to speak to him and he agreed. But as Kieran was too busy modelling T-shirts and hanging mugs from parts of his anatomy, I interviewed him by myself. And it, it turned into a really fascinating, insightful interview. Here's what Ben had to say. Ben, hello. Thanks for agreeing to talk to us. Uh, for those of our listeners, Ben, all over the country and the world who don't know the full glory of South London, tell us a little bit about your club and the area, because I think it's safe to say you're situated in a place of financial extremes, aren't you?
2: Oh, that, that, that's exactly it. Dulwich is in South East London. It's in the borough of Southwark, uh, which does have those financial extremes. And uh, we're based in East Dulwich, which is surrounded by you know, lots of different uh, you know, sort of... Different areas in terms of demographics and um, economics. Mm.
0: And tell us about the history of the club as well, because it's it's a a very well established non-league club, and I know that because I live in the area. But for those people all over the world, I mean, it was a unique history. It was founded by a very interesting person, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, his his picture is overlooking me as I speak, and he founded it in eighteen ninety-three. So we're what's that, one hundred and um. 27 ben, years now. I'm the
0: wrong person to ask on an accounting pod. Yeah. I know it's about football finance, but adding, adding up is not my strong point and Kieran's not here.
2: Yeah, <laughs> we, yeah we've, we've been on uh, this site in East Dulwich now for 100 years. Mm. So yes, it's very well established in the, in the community. Now, in
0: recent years, Ben, you've developed quite a um, hipster fan base. Was that a, a sort of deliberate decision or was it just a reflection of the changing demographic of your area?
2: Uh, no, and uh, you'll hear the grumblings already from those around, but uh, I'm, I'm that keen on that description. But I think it's just, we, we, we attract lots of different sorts uh, of, of people. And, and certainly the, um, the hipsters were the ones that um, you know, the press liked to pick up on and liked to feature on a lot of the, uh, lot of the, media, the media coverage. Um,
0: well, they, I mean, some of your fans do sing "We're the Famous Dulwich Hamlet" and "We Look Like Tuscany," so they they kind of, they have kind of embraced it themselves a little bit. And it's, it's not it's not a criticism because your club does sterling work in the community, award winning sterling work in the community. But it's just to those of us from the outside, it's mm. it's a slightly different fan base. It's a little bit like Forest Green. There's that sort of vibe about
2: it, isn't it? Yeah, there is there is that vibe. Certainly on a Saturday afternoon, we've got large numbers of people who are here for you know, to be part of the community. Um, you know, most are watching the football, but you know, you're, you're right. A lot of here are just to see friends, hang out and uh, you know have a beer by the pitch. Mm. Uh, ben, Premier League pay-per-view has been a big talking point recently, especially on our pod,
0: but you've just announced you're providing free streams of all men's home games while fans are not allowed in. What was the thinking behind what the club described as a decision to steer clear of
2: paywalled streams? Because our priority is to reach the largest number of people in the community. Mm. You know, we're used to having... Two to 3,000 people here on a Saturday and we're used to having schools and we're used to giving free tickets to community groups. Um, I don't think a paywall, a paywall, you know, uh, serves any of those uh, objectives. Mm. And presumably, like other clubs, you could have monetized it, couldn't you? Um, we, we could, but all of the information that we've seen from clubs that went first was that there wasn't a really strong you know, monetization model. Um, you know, people want to watch the games together. Uh, you know the, the, the diehards will probably uh, you know have a season ticket so they would have free access as well mm. um, so there was a there was a limited um, sort of financial upside but say so to our you know, the real driver for us was um, you know we we want to make sure that we're still connected to thousands of people when the gates open again
0: yeah and it's it, it's one of those gestures as well that make Already proud Dulwich Hamlet fans, even more proud of the club, Doesn't it when they when they see that the club appreciate the situation and they're happy to show them the games for free? That that kind of puts an extra spring in this type
2: of fans, doesn't it? Yeah, I and mean, you're right. I mean, it was uh, that's a good point that that was the Dulwich decision, and it's the only sort of decision we we would have made anyway. Um, and you know, I think in the past few months we've seen a lot of people in, in the world of football not exactly covering themselves in glory with how they've uh, treated people, whether it's other clubs or uh, or the fans.
0: Before we discuss finance and the pandemic, Ben, which is what we're here for, uh, I'm putting it off slightly because no one really wants to talk about it, although it's massively Mm. important. Tell us a little bit about your club's links with Altona 1893 in Germany because one of the things on the pod that we always like to discuss is is links between, not unlikely clubs, but between clubs that have come about because we're all for reaching out across the world between football clubs, basically.
2: Yes, I mean that came out of the fan base and uh you know a common um age and, and and celebration. Uh and so yes, we started playing um playing games against them, and there was a huge fan contingent that went there a couple of years ago. Unfortunately, I was in America at the time, missed it. Uh so it's 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 a it's a strong connection and we still get visits from them, and that and again, that's a big shame of what's stopped now. Mm. Uh you know, we um, we had a few over uh, towards the end of last year before the pandemic hit. Um, for one of our games, and it's a it's a relationship that's kept going, and and, and hopefully will resume um, when when this is over.
0: Yeah, it's one of the things I love. We went, uh, some friends and I went to see Union Berlin play a couple of years back, and it's just brilliant meeting fans from other clubs because it never occurs to you that they've got the same the same concerns and cares about their game as you have about yours. But ultimately, all you really want to talk about is football. So, that, that's, that's, we really think it's important that the more we can link clubs together at all levels, the more football benefits basically
2: yeah i mean absolutely i mean one of the one of the images i enjoyed most from our first stream was um altona fans in in germany sitting down you know under a gazebo watching the game and uh you know at least it shows again another reason you're trying to reach out to as many people as you can during this time You know, it really does reap rewards Hmm. now let's get serious Ben. somewhat belatedly
0: the government offered national league clubs what they called a critical financial support package so the season could begin and the FA Cup could continue but you have issues with it don't you yes
2: significant issues huge yeah. issues yeah could you talk um, us through some of those issues yes I mean the, the the primary issue is that of distribution um you know if you go back the 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 funding decision was, was critical. You're right now in the run-up to the FA Cup game on October the 3rd, we and many other clubs were having board meetings to decide whether we were to commence the season. It was that, it was, it was that black and white. Um, The national league had given us commitments. You know, I'd write to them every two weeks during, uh, you know, during the summer to say, are you still committed that we are only going ahead with uh, when fans return? And we got written commitments to that, uh, you know, uh, uh, to confirm that, which was very good, very communicative. Um, but obviously, yeah, the, the situation of the country changed. Um, so suddenly, it went from we're now committed to either starting with fans or with funding. Mm. Uh, so the nature of that funding was critical to every club's decision as to whether to commence on that FA Cup weekend. Mm. And you were prepared to boycott the season if necessary, weren't you? Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, boycotts probably strong at that point. It was. It's a financial reality. Um, you know, we are owned by fans. We don't have money in the bank to see us through a crisis like this. Uh, and the most important thing is the club is here at, at the end. And if that means, unfortunately, saying well we can't therefore incur, uh, you know, huge costs of, of of running a season when there's zero income, and mm. um, that's the decision you have to take.
0: Yeah, as you say, over the summer, the late summer, you were very vocal about the government's inaction. Were you being supported by the league when you were criticising the government? Because I think it's important to make that distinction between how the league were were reacting and how the government were reacting, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I was supported of of the league simply because I felt they'd been played a terrible hand and and dealt a terrible hand and they have played it okay. You know, they they weren't making any easy decisions um, and they didn't have any easy answers. Uh, I liked the fact that they were strong in their communication, that, you know, we are not going to put you guys in a position... Where you are incurring costs and receiving no income. Um, now there are lots of debates about whether government should be, you know, funding um, sports and arts and, and and anything else that is completely unable to function, uh, you know, in the, in the current situation. I think there are pros and cons to all of that. So I think, um, you know, what you need is an authority in the, in the sport that then says, look, but here, whatever happens, here's what we're going to do. And I felt we had that.
0: Yeah, my, my own view is which I've articulated on many occasions is that the government should support both football and the arts, especially as that's yeah, my mainstream of income. But it's I think it's slightly odd. I've always been slightly grumpy about the fact that sport and culture are come under the same ministry because they are yeah. very separate entities,
2: aren't they? Absolutely, absolutely. But then, you know, at least we've got a minister dedicated to sports and, and and he was the one that when he stood up in the House of Commons and was asked the question of of how this funding was going to be distributed, you know, confirmed that it was going to be based on you know, in his words, absolutely focused on on gate receipts. Um, so you know, it showed an understanding of the situation. And again, I think people need to understand. Perhaps those that are going, well, why are we giving money to football clubs? You know, this is a situation where we're being compelled to continue. You know, uh, you know, as you said earlier, we were happy to say, right, we just can't run, we can't operate this year. We're going to have to do our best, hibernate, and come back when we can. But we were put in a position where we said, no, we want you to continue this competition. They obviously don't want this big gap in the middle of the you know, in in the game uh, where two tiers don't operate at all. Um, So in that situation, funding is very appropriate. Hmm. I read in one
0: London newspaper, you you talked about the lack of consensus amongst non-league clubs and the fact that
2: you were perceived as being pessimists. Why was that? Um, Very simply in March when this all shut down, uh, there was a huge debate about whether this was a temporary break, whether we were coming back, whether there could be playoffs. And we were one of the clubs saying, guys, you need to start looking at six to 12 months problems, not three to six weeks. Uh, we said there is, I said at the time, I believe there is zero chance that the 2021 season commences you know, on time and you know, with, with, with fans. And I know it was hard for people to hear that have been in the game a lot longer than I have. Mm. Um, but we found there was just a complete lack of reality that uh, you know, people weren't accepting that the, the, the pandemic's, are not called pandemics because they're here and gone in six weeks. Yeah. And you were one of the club chairmen who said that if you were
0: forced to continue playing behind closed doors back in March, April, it would probably put you out of business.
2: Absolutely. Dulwich does not have a pot of gold anywhere. Yeah. Uh, we are the highest supported club at this level by you know, quite some distance mm. uh, in the National League South. Uh, we've got York in the north, uh, you know, similar levels. Um and all our income comes from matchday activity, whether it's direct, you know, money on the bar, money on the gate, yeah. or indirect, where it's sponsors and people who want to work with us because we do get you know two to three thousand people. Yeah. And well, also you, you get two to three thousand people and you're very visible
0: in your area, as many clubs in the in the national leagues are, which is, again is something that non-football fans don't realise. And we we bang on about this all the time, Ben. If you, you don't just lose a football club, you lose industries you lose two or three pubs you lose cafes you lose printing companies you lose uh, an awful lot of people lose their jobs if a football club goes bust and you seem to be one of those chairman that's aware of that more than others perhaps
2: yeah well I think that was the other thing you know it was awful when we were in exile uh, yes a year and a half ago but we saw it. We saw what happens to a community when you rip the heart out of yeah. the, you know, the football club disappears. You know, we were out of here for you know, for, for, for nine months and it impacted local businesses, it mm. impacted the local community and it impacts the local economy. Um, so we weren't talking from a you know pessimistic. Oh, yeah, you know, this is what could happen. We were talking from a we have seen this and this is what happens. Mm. Do you know one of the things that. May come out of this that has some benefit
0: is that when I was younger, when we, you know, my friends were younger, when Palace fans, if Palace were away, we would go and see in the Mitchum, which is we used to see Tootin play at Hamlet, Carl Shorten, yeah, places like that. And I, I think there's a, a growing enjoyment amongst football fans who the only football they have to watch is non league football. And I think people are connecting again. With their local clubs, not to the extent that they will probably st- stop supporting, you know, Palace, Chelsea whatever, but they will go to those local clubs when they possibly can
2: and, and look out for them. And that's that's a good thing, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, there's a huge number of fans that come here on a Saturday uh, that are also going to, you know, Arsenal and Palace, in particular Spurs, I know a lot of. Um, and what we're starting to see, though, is the pendulum swinging. You know, we're getting people coming here now when they've got a choice, through. is a Saturday three pm, they might yeah. be here rather than um, yeah, the Premier
0: League. Yeah, it's a word you hear often about non-league football. Again, I, I hate actually I hate using the word non-league football because it implies that the only place to be of any importance is in, in the top ninety two. But it's a word you use about uh, football outside those ninety two. Fun. People talk about having fun. They talk about it yeah. being how football was when they were when they were young. It's it's more relaxed. It's it's obviously cheaper. The atmosphere is nicer. Fans mingle more, and it's, there's there's something to that, isn't there? I think for those of us who are constantly stressed about whether we're going
2: to stay in the the Premier League for another year, oh, definitely. And it is an enjoyable uh, day for everybody here. You know, we we don't have any issues. Uh, the stewards enjoy it. Um, yeah, you know, we 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 are hospitable, and we you know, we love having our, you know the, the away fans in the bar mingling with, with you know with ours. And I think it actually goes to show that you know so much. I, I look at the top flight, and when I go there. And you realise so much of it is a throwback to, you know, these perceptions from what are now 30 to 40 years ago. Yeah. You know, and 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 what's really hitting non-league clubs financially is as we go up the ladder, you know, um, we start incurring these rules at National League level and then it will be the league above and then the FA Cup comes in. You know, simple stuff like, you know, you have to segregate. Uh, you know, you're taking away this whole concept of fans mixing. Yeah. Um, you know, you cannot serve alcohol within view of the pitch, mm. which... Is, a, is an anachronism that really needs to be you know, addressed very, very quickly because bar income is a huge part of a, of a big non-league community um, you know, fan base. Mm. And if you're saying there's a glass ceiling, that means that once you get to this level, you've got to shut down a lot of the things that people enjoy about coming, then something's gone wrong in football. Mm. I think it's a shame ben, that so many football fans
0: don't know the simple joy of changing ends at half-time. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. just, just ambling yeah. along the side of the ground chatting to people and just turning up behind the other goal where your team is a tower I love that there's a question Ben that I'm sure all Dulwich Hamlet fans listening to this would want me to ask how well placed are you financially to get through this?
2: Uh, until the funding decision uh, when we budgeted according to what we told what was coming we were okay now we've got a problem Right. Um, and as much as some people in in, in the game who are you know uh involved in these decisions uh, may think that we've got a lot of money as i was told this week we don't right. um you know there there isn't a war chest uh we we had money to see us through the seven months we've just been through with zero income yeah. um and you know we are we are not in debt as a result uh but we were told clearly to budget around um you know lost gate receipts uh and so it's has been a huge shock to us to find that um when the fundings come out that it, it's 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 dramatically different what is the difference between what you were hoping to get and what you're actually getting well i think um the the different formulas that i've seen put put about by a lot of the other clubs that are unhappy you know all seem to think that we've got about 50 percent of what we what um you know oh, right, we, okay would have expected uh, and other clubs similarly i mean it's it's a strange situation because, you know, it's um, you've sort of got a top out of the 66 clubs impacted. There's a sort of top third who have done extraordinarily well. I have received money in excess of uh, some of them uh, are receiving money in excess for three months from public funds than they would have made in the entire season on a match day last year. Oh, wow. Right. Uh, and that's that's the discrepancy you're dealing with. Obviously, we are 65th out of 66. You know, only York have, uh, have fared worse. Um, and so, in that bottom section, uh, you know, you've you've got clubs that are you know you're hugely hugely um, you know behind what they were expecting to receive. And again, it's not about the model. It's not really a debate about whose funding model is better. It's about the fact that the commitment was given by the government, which was then handed to the National League to implement. And clubs acted on that. You know, I spoke to another chairman yesterday who is in the same position as us. They're a well-run club run by fans. They have to be sustainable. And that's their commitment as directors to the fans. And uh, they only proceeded on, on on the same basis we did on that statement in the Commons. So they're now in the same position we are where, no, there aren't sufficient funds to see, see us through to the uh, to the end of the season, if this if this model is not reviewed and is not amended, well, is there any mechanism for uh, review or amendment or appeal? Yeah, I mean, a, n- a large number of clubs have contacted the National League to have a look at it. Right. Um, you know, I mean, in in fairness, uh, you know, there was speed was a was a critical concern. I getting clubs money, you know, in order to pay bills, and I think that has come at, at the expense of um, you know of, of accuracy. Uh, And so, you know, I I think, you know, I would agree with everyone involved that there's always a debate on both sides about whose, you know, whose idea on funding models is is best. Um, But I do think, you know, there's there's a problem in the National League which is completely accidental, uh, which is if you draw a line in all three divisions halfway in, in you know, if you order all the clubs by attendance. you know, we have a representative board of clubs, uh, member clubs that are supposed to make these decisions and contribute to these decisions. Well, through a twist of fate, you know, seven out of eight of the board members are in the bottom half of all their tables in terms of attendance. Oh, OK. Uh, you know, and so it's not, int- you know, no, no one's talking about uh, it being an intentional, you know, uh, but. I, what I think is once you get a, a mistake of that severity, and, and, and say so we're not talking about you know, the odd thousand pounds here, mm. you know, this is a public fund that is provided specifically for three months to allow clubs to continue. If there is a double figures number of clubs that are given more, as I said, than their entire season matchday income, uh, something's gone wrong. Um, so our job as clubs is to highlight that, and hopefully the job of the of the board is to say, right, you know, great. We've got this information now because I spoke to one board member who said when, uh, we didn't actually look at the impact on individual clubs when we presented that as an example. Um, so I don't mind people making mistakes or not seeing the, 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 the longer term impact of the decisions. Um, that's allowed. But if when presented with that evidence, you still persist. That's when, in my opinion, it turns from you know, a mistake to a scandal. Mm. you mentioned
0: that you were perceived as a, a wealthy club as having a war chest is that simply because of the size of your attendances that people
2: made that assumption i genuinely have no idea because we submit all this information to the national league they see your cash flow they know exactly how much you've got in the bank what comes in and what goes out um so i think it is just an, an odd perception uh, i genuinely don't know where it came from and it sort of goes to the heart of this decision making if that perception exists and that's uh, perception is held by a decision maker on funding then they're simply making the funding decision based with wrong information mm-hmm. and again they, it needs to be reviewed now that they know that um no there isn't a you know a war chest you know sitting under the you know the seats in champion hill
0: well speaking of champion hill and your exile for nine months as you say you're playing at Tooth and the Mitchum's ground for a while you had big plans for a, a move to a new stadium are they completely on hold now
2: uh, no. Um, the planning permission was granted uh, three months ago uh, in, in, in July. Um, the, we're now into sort of the stadium design phase. So oh, that brilliant. continues. Um, there is a spanner in the works, obviously, because um, one of the key things we learned about Exile was that this club can't operate away from East Dulwich. Um, so there was a really nice phasing plan where it would be built in stages to allow us to continue here for you know, uh, for as long as possible and hopefully without any time away. Mm-hmm. Um, but to achieve that, you need big preseason gaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we used to have this predictable, right, on the first weekend in May, that's the end. And on the first weekend in August, that's the start. Mm-hmm. That gives you this window to progress. We don't even know what those windows are going to look like now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that that's the uh, that, that's the issue we we're, we're trying to address at the moment.
0: And again, it's, it's important as well. It's not just for the club. It comes back to the discussion we had about what a community loses if a club disappears. But when a club has ambitious plans like this, the, the community gains because you're, you're creating employment. You're creating building, construction work. You're, you're, creating, you're getting more fans in, so that's more money for the local pubs and, and clubs. So it's not just mm. a question of people going, oh, well, Dulwich Hamlet they're getting a bit above their station, they're getting a new ground. They're not. You're helping the community by improving... Your facilities—it's—it's it's a virtuous circle. It's a win-win situation for the club and the community. And, and basically, part of that, the reason our pod exists is that we're just as concerned with the community around the clubs as
2: we are with the clubs themselves. Yeah, I mean, that, and and that's that's fantastic because it ties exactly in with, with what our objectives for this were. I mean, in with my other hat in in, in previous times, you know, I've run a lot of I've um, you know, run sports for, for, for kids around around this area. Yeah, the facilities around this area. Uh, you know, are, are not great. You know, I won't bore everyone with the concepts of clay soil, but, you know, our flooding is terrible. Yeah. You know, my son once played in a season where he didn't play a home game after November because the pitches <laughs> were not available. Right. Um, and one of the things we really want to deliver is, you know, a decent facility that would be available to, you know, the local schools to the local community groups um, that they don't have today. Um, and so you're right. It's part of business. This will, this, you know, everyone agrees, you know, no matter where they stood on the debate of whether we should have a new stadium, no one could dispute the enormous economic value it will deliver. Um, and no one can dispute the, the sports provision that it's going to become a hub for in this community. Um, and that's our objective for the, you know, for this football club. We've always said that, um, you know, all that great work that our community officers, especially, you know, people like Rob Hyman, who won the award this year, yeah. um, uh, they do in in outreach to schools and groups that really need it. We underperform on the sporting provision because we don't have the facilities. And if we can replicate on the pitch for all those you know kids and groups, what we can do off the pitch, then uh, you know this community is going to be you know benefiting for years to come. Yeah, which is
0: brilliant news, and that's great news to end on. Also, I want to end on a another lighter note uh, because we talked earlier on this pod, Kieran and I, about the unfortunate necessity to start a tawdry sale of the price of football merchandise. And I just wanted to mention that not all merchandise is is tacky and tawdry because some of your stuff is fantastic. In particular, I really like your club scarves. The the, the pink and black one with the rainbow, that's a decent yeah. product. So if, if yeah. anybody is in mind to go onto our website and buy a mug with the word Baron <laughs> written on it, also go onto Dulwich Hamlet's website and buy some decent scarves as well because you'll be helping a club out. And again, Ben, I'm sure you didn't join me in, in – asking every football fan listening to this to to get down and help support their local football club in any way they can, whether it's going in if they're allowed to go in or buying merchandise if they're not, or just basically taking interest and taking note of what their local club is doing. Yeah, I mean,
2: I think you're right. Uh, at the levels below the one that we play in, go and see them. You know, you know get, get as many fans that are as safe to be there on a match day. Absolutely. Um, if you're in our level and levels above where we can't have fans, it's about keeping that contact all those fans all all, all those clubs and those clubs are looking at numbers and hoping that in whether it's six or nine however many months it is they they want the same number of fans back that they had before they went Um, so finding ways to connect whether that is um, you know through the merchandising route just uh, you know watch the streams keep connected uh, and see what else that uh, the club can do in the community even though it's had its sort of hub removed temporarily that's what all the clubs need to be doing Beth, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. I,
0: I really wish we didn't have to talk to so many people who've got so many problems at this time, but it's been very interesting to talk to you and we wish you and the club the very best going ahead and with the new stadium. Uh, hopefully, we'll talk to you again around about the time of the first game in the new place and, and we can look back on these terrible times. Not, I was going to say misty-eyed, but that would be wrong, but we can, look, we can look back and enjoy the fact that football has come through it as safely as possible. Bet, it's been a pleasure. Take care now. Ben actually gets quite emotional, Kieran, towards the end of that. He's he, he's so passionate about the place of Dulwich in the community and what football can do. But also, I mean, he referred to the distribution of the money, the government bailout, as potentially scandalous. He said that they, you know, Dulwich gave the government and the National League details of what their finances were. And were, it's basically accused by those people of having more money than they were letting on. And also to hear... The the chairman of a, a team at that level say he was actually quite relieved that they got knocked out of the FA Cup uh, because it was costing them a lot of money to travel to they kept getting drawn in away games was was slightly perturbing but it's, I, I hope people listen to that because it just shows the the concern of somebody who's he told me afterwards he's at the club from eight in the morning to eight at night just trying to find ways to make sure that they get through this financially
1: yes and and you can certainly understand his distress uh, I think clubs of of the size of Dulwich and, and we 've seen other clubs of of a similar uh, similar stature um I think they had an expectation as to how much they would receive as a result of the this national lottery grant of ten million pounds um I, I think nobody's arguing about the size of the cake but the rather arbitrary way that it's been chosen to be cut. Um, has has impacted upon many clubs. I mean, I, I've seen the comments of of Oliver Ash from Maidstone United as well, and, and he's he's used even stronger language, which I, which I which I'm not going to repeat here. Mm. Um, but he, he's and that's come from an emotional position. The, the we've got clubs that have got very very good support who are earning less money than than the likes of Boreham Wood. Now that's not a criticism of Boreham Wood by itself, but there has to be a logic behind decisions, and uh, you know I, I'm sure we've 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 all had it in our lives. Decisions made in haste aren't necessarily the best ones. Uh, you know, I, I think about uh, you know some of my friends and one night stands in Cleethorpes, for example, mm-hmm. as, as evidence of that.
0: Yeah, that's is why I urge people to think a while before buying a t-shirt with your name on it. Once they thought it, and then buy as many as you want. Just give it a thought. Just give it a second thought before you do. it. There are. There can't be many other podcasts, Kieran, where people are discouraging their listeners from buying the merchandise. It's great. It's really good. It's a lovely, neutral color as well. I wanted to end on a a, a good news story, Kieran, because we don't get much of it, and it it touches on something we've talked about before. And it touches especially on the sterling work that Meza Ozil, uh, Marcus Rashford has done. I've given the story away now. Because Meza Ozil might not be able to get a game for Arsenal, but he gets many brownie points because he's providing free meals for around 1,400 school pupils in North London this half-term, which is fantastic.
1: Yes and sometimes people have have got to put their their views of an individual aside N- nobody forced arsenal to to offer mezaozol that that wage packet yeah. he is a guy with a social conscience his the decision by the club to to not uh, put him into their premier league squad is based on whatever decision, that, you know, whatever reasons they've got. Could be footballing, could be non-footballing. But uh, it's, it's another shining example. So he, uh, Marcus Rashford, and also many, many other players who are doing work on the quiet yeah. as well. Um, you, you've got to t- take your hats off to. You. Most footballers are from modest backgrounds. Um, They're aware of where they've come from. And this is another example of somebody that's wanting to put something back uh, to people less privileged than themselves.
0: Yeah. And to all those people who say, well, he could afford to feed every kid in the country. It's not his job. Um, Kieran, uh, I'm going to do the usual uh, piece here and then I'm going to hand over to you as usual, but you've got a slightly different message for us at the end of this pod. Uh, I think Astute listeners can guess what it's going to be about. Uh, we're back on Sunday, Monday even. Um, with our, we record on Sundays. Should we give that away? Yeah, we record on Sunday, but we're back on Monday with our questions pod, uh, and I guess we'll be getting a lot this week, especially following that brilliant Ben Clasper interview. If you have any questions for us about any level of football, it's priceoffootball.com. dot com. And meanwhile, I shall hand you over to our sales rep for his final message.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening and you're thinking (laughs) still listening, yeah, (laughs) still listening, yes, are you thinking there's somebody in my life that enjoys this podcast, who I like but I don't necessarily love, um, and they're a bit of a dweeb. Why not have some merchandise uh, connected to the price of football podcast? So we we presently have, I think it's fair to say, a limited range. Mm -hmm. Uh, It consists of three elements there is uh the the t-shirt with the price of football logo on the front uh discreetly um at, uh, at 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 breast level um and on the back of that you can either have uh the baron or the baroness uh depending upon uh, what you would prefer uh and i have considered the the latter myself but only if i get a, a mirror attached to the ceiling cuz i'm getting a bit forgetful at my age um and there's also uh, a mug with uh, the price of football logo and the Baron attached to that as well now th- this is uh, this is very much a limited range producer guy is is already in talk with the producers to to get some more uh, I, I think we're going to look at uh, eyebrow raising related content for Kevin and things of that nature uh, as well as jaw dropping and perhaps uh, a range of wrongen material <laughs> but we 're not quite certain what that should look like um if you are interested uh, go to uh the 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 hyphen price hyphen of hyphen football.backstreetmerch.com and order uh now uh the material won't go on sale until uh, the 20th of november but just imagine your partner's face when they've been hoping for a new home or away shirt and they get one with my name on their back <laughs>
0: Was it a hyphen? I said dash. Oh well. That's <laughs> that's how good we are at selling things. And no one's going to believe you haven't already got a mirror in your bedroom selling Kieran. <laughs> Bye everybody. Bye. The
2: price of I suck for football.